every life has a story. And every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. It feels like I've known Dorina uh, for all her life. We've uh, met in Melbourne some almost 25 years ago, I think. Um, and we've journeyed together in, uh, in church. And uh, her dad was actually my um, youth leader for a while. And then uh, we've, uh, we worked together at youth and then I became a youth leader. And just over the years, we've, we've done so many things together. And uh, in this season of life, even though we, we're doing different things, we just realized how much we've got in common. And uh, tonight here at Kingdom Stories from Down Under, it's an absolute privilege to introduce to you Dorina Chrisan. Welcome, Dorina. Thank you, Nati. <laughs> what an honor to be here after so many years. Thank you. Uh, what year did you come to Australia? 89? No, 1990. In 89, 89 Australia, and then 1990, we got accepted in Australia. 1990. I think I remember. I remember your dad and your mom. Back in Melbourne. Yeah, back yes. in Melbourne at the Bush yes. Church. That's right. Humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's good. So how old were you when you landed here? I ended up, um, I was eight when I left Romania. I stayed one year in Austria and then by the age of nine I arrived in Australia with mum and dad and my older sister, Lydia. Nice. What's the age difference between you and Lydia? About three and a half years. Three and a half years, okay. So you say Austria. Um, where were you born in Romania? Um, Deva. Uh, Deva. Yes. Were your parents living in Brad? Yes. Uh, originally, my mum my and dad um, started off in Sibiu. Um, my dad Who's was, from Sibiu? Um, dad or mum? Yeah, he, he was from Cluj and then um, Sibiu. And then that's where you met my mum. And then from there, they moved to Brad. Okay. And then from Brad, here we are. Which to Brad Australia. means pine tree. Yes. <laughs> we literally had a pine tree in front of our building. And I think you visited the building where we stayed. Uh, yeah, we a have. Few times. As, a, as a small boy, I used to travel there because we had a common friend. That's right. And we used to go there on holidays, and it was just amazing. We, we loved that place. So I uh, just at the bottom of the hills and mountains behind, it was a beautiful, beautiful town. What's, what memories do you have of your childhood? I think they were the most amazing memories as a child. Um, especially summer holidays for me. It was a time where we used to go back to our grandparents for the summer holidays. I think they were the most memorable ones. Yeah. Uh, we were left there to spend as much time as we can in freedom, chasing animals, um, staying uh, with our grandparents was probably the most freedom that we ever got. Yeah. Um, and then we lived in the sort of city area for us, which was a bit more restricted. But I think the most memorable for me was also living winter and snow which we've never experienced here in Australia. And I'd yeah. love my kids to be able to experience that. But there were just that freedom to be a child, not yeah. stuck behind a computer or um, you know, a phone. Gadget. So yeah, it was all those things that you, you think that every child would experience. And I look at my children, we try to give them the same thing, but I think they were just, they were priceless. Yeah. So, yeah. What's your earliest um, memory of childhood? Four, five, about about four or five, I would imagine. I do remember actually your mum, your beloved mum, and your sister used to babysit us. I don't know if you actually knew that. Yeah, or in Romania. Romania. Wow. In no. Romania. Which and one? You, um, Nicoletta. 
Wow. She was actually a babysitter quite a few times. There you go. <laughs> and also your mom, I remember her, she used to sing. Yes, she did. She had a beautiful voice and I do have fond memories of her and yes. even in Melbourne as well. So okay. that would have been probably five, six. Yeah. As far as I remember. So how did you go to get to Australia? Your dad went first and or so, you all went together? No, my dad actually, um, I think from what I remember, he fled, he went to Austria. We didn't see him for what, about one year. So he left before the war came down? Yes, before the, before the revolution. revolution. Okay. So in 89, um, he left. We didn't see him for one year. And then after that... So he um, crossed the border illegally into legally, Hungary? Yes, and, and then to Austria. Yeah. And then my mum, she crossed the border, but um, was caught. And she went to prison for, I remember, three months. And wow. it was probably the hardest time for my parents. Um, we were left with our uncle and auntie. Who took us in? Um, we weren't going to end up in a um, in Post. a children's home. Oh, orphanage! <clears throat> because there were we were classified as children that were been abandoned. Yeah. And now that's Aline and Diana's um, parents, okay. so we stayed with them for about a year, and they took us on as their children. And during that time, Mum ended up with Dad in Austria. Um, Dad was able to take her from the prison, and um, they both worked together really hard and. So where was she caught? In Romania? I think, she, no, no, no. In Hungary? Uh, no, Serbia. Oh, in Serbia. Serbia. Oh, so yeah. she wasn't caught in Romania. She was caught no, in Serbia. crossing. Yeah, crossing Oh, on the other side. That's right. But she was going to carry on and cross into Austria. That's right. That's right. And so she was kept in a Serbian, That's right. former Yugoslavian That's right. prison. Okay. Yes. And somehow dad... Managed to take her. There was a group of them and uh, I think three of them were able to cross over. Um, the rest of them were sent back to Romania. Wow, beautiful. It was God's hand, I truly believe And that. then you were still in Romania, both of you? So both me and my sister were there. Um, and then about a year later, um, mom and dad organized for somebody to come and take us with passports and everything. By so by then, by then <clears throat> the uh, revolution had happened? No, we left and then the revolution started right after we left. So how did you get passports and everything? I have no idea. I just know it was legally all done. Um, there was a lady um, that had, they had worked for in Austria and she was, um, obviously she was there for years, had a, she was a veterinarian and then um, they paid her enough money to be able to go back to Romania by train and then transport us back oh, to Austria. Yeah, Austria. And were they free in Austria or they were, they in, were free. In, a, in a refugee camp? They were in a refugee camp, so they were were able to work and start making money to be able to raise money to bring Do you remember over. the journey from Romania to Austria? It was probably the most exciting um, journey. Um, for us, I remember that my auntie bought us these beautiful dolls and dolls were scarce back in Romania. If you remember, we had these big dolls. I think they were as big as us. Yeah. And I remember she dressed us in beautiful suits. We even got photos. And I remember when we were getting close to Austria, both me and Lydia were jumping from one side to another, trying to see mum and dad. We haven't seen them for about a year. So it was like so emotional because as soon as we saw them, we jumped out of the train. I remember it was like, it was the most amazing feeling. You don't see your parents so you would for have so been long. seven? Um, about eight, eight, seven, eight, yeah. So year two or year three? Yes, I stayed, I stayed back one year because I sort of missed the traveling that in Austria, and then we ended up going to Austria. Um, we had to go to school. That was really, really hard. German. I think in whole year I've learned how to count up to 10. Guten Tag, and I think good evening, and that, that was about it. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. Yeah. yeah very hard.
And how did you make the transition to Australia? So they were seeking um, um, asylum in various places. Did they choose Australia? or cause They could have probably chosen US or Canada as well. Yeah, it was America. Mum's got relatives there and it was America or Australia. And they both prayed for it and said, look, if it's God's will, he'll open up doors either to America or you'll be Australia. And Australia was a country that God chose us to end up. And here we are. So you flew to Melbourne in 1990. So you spent about a year in Austria. Yes. Okay. Made some friends there? We did. We actually met a lot of Romanian friends. And even now, a lot of them have actually ended up here in Australia with us. Um, I think you know quite a few of the Romanian people from uh, Austria that ended up here. And then by divine intervention, I think uh, a lot of us ended up in the same church. <laughs> and um, Mariana Filimon were actually the main people that we stayed with. And it felt like home when we came to to Melbourne and then Perth. Yeah. Um, but there was um, a lot of Romanians, I think, that either ended up in Australia or America. Wow. So Australia was for us. Melbourne. Melbourne, yes, first yeah. Melbourne. That was now, uh, two English. years. English, new language, a bit better than German or still daunting? It was amazing. I think for us, for me, German were, to me, they were great people, but they were very cold. I think for me it was hard to get warm up to people. And then when I ended up in, um, in Melbourne, I remember my first day going to school, I went home and I told Dad we got to sleep at lunchtime. We, after we came back from our recess, we got to sleep. They read our stories and everybody wanted to be a friend. So instantly I just absolutely loved Australia. Yeah. The, the warmth that they received us, it was so different. I think because And this was Noble Park Primary or what was it? That was other? primary school. That was primary school in Melbourne. So, yeah. Do you remember which one? No, I think it was Dandenong. Dandenong. That was okay. the one, yeah. And you stayed with Philemon or you stayed uh, in a flat? No, first, uh, I think a few months until we settled in. We stayed with uh, Mariana and Georgia Philemon. And then it was a Romanian church that we got to know a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we, we were there as well. Yeah. That's right. Um, but they were the first people that I remember as a child. And we knew them from Austria as well. And they had children as well that we sort of bonded with. Did you eventually live on Edith Street with all the Romanians in the we flat? We sure did. You yes. did? Yeah, there were a lot of Romanians. <laughs> <laughs> there was a group of us um, that we all ended up going to school together. Yeah. I remember Fratele Benefitsui, um, as we know, one of our pastors. Um, he had a small little car that he used to load. I think there was about six or seven of us in the same car. He used to pick everybody up. And we all went to school. So it felt like home, I yeah. think, because there were so many of us yeah. all in the same situation, I think, uh, fresh arrived to Australia and trying to settle in. So how long were you in Melbourne? Uh, for two years. And in 92... That it, soon you came across yeah, you. So yeah. you came before we did. That's right. I think Dad and two other families, um, Mariana Filimon and Georgia, and there was um, another family that came with them at the same time. We Do you crossed. know why? Yeah, I remember mum said, you know, she was always sick in Melbourne because of the cold weather. And we had heard that Perth was warm and it was nice and hot and things were moving over there. So we thought we'll make a shift. So so they came by faith. They by faith. They knew nobody here. Sold everything. And sold everything. Got in a car and drove yeah. across. Yeah, we drove across. Yeah. That was Adventure. a challenge. No air conditioning. Yeah, I know. I remember it was a Ford Falcon and we slept in the car. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> you do. You couldn't lie down. So there's four of us in the car and, and um, all the gear and all the clothes. Everything. And even though you've only been here two years, yeah. we are 
we didn't have a lot, but what we had was all packed in my little car and uh, we crossed over. They asked me, somebody asked me, they said, Nathaniel, what is one word that you can describe Romanians with? And I said, cloth nevores. Because <laughs> <laughs> we like clothes, you know, high body kind of thing. <laughs> you know, everybody's got too many clothes. So. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I think that's all we packed from Melbourne and uh, we moved over here. I think for me, what I've seen in my parents, it was such hard workers. Yeah. And they were, you know, learning to adapt. I think moving from Romania to Austria. And then so your dad would have been in his 40s when he moved yes, here? Yes, in his 40s. Mid Same 40s, early 40s? Late early 40s. Early, early 40s. 40s. So still challenging to adapt. Absolutely. And then your mum as well. And they didn't know English. I think before we left Austria, once we knew we were going to either Australia or America, we went to a school and we had to learn basic English. So it helped us a little bit, but it was harder for mum and dad because they had to make money. So in Australia, all they, they did was work. And then when um, they came here again, rather than going to English school, they right. focused on work. Well, mum said, you know, she was always a hard worker. So for her, it was like there wasn't a choice. Yeah. You know, anything they could to make money, they, they threw themselves into and worked. Yeah. Which is healthy. It's it's the right attitude. They had good work ethics, and I think that's something that I saw my parents from a very young age. Hmm. So you moved here in Perth. Um, See, so by now you're ten, eleven. Yes. And uh, how did Perth seem to you? Well, the was first, it summer or was it? Oh, it was hot. I think yeah. it was in March. Okay. It was still hot, but I remember we came to Perth, and it felt like a desert. We cried for the first two months. I think there was a you know dry tear every night. I think I remember Lydia saying we want to go back to Melbourne. We wanted to go back to Melbourne. There was friends and well, it was a big church. I think there were, if I'm not mistaken, from what I remember, it was over 100 people at yeah, least easy. in that church. Yeah, yeah. And we came here. There was like were we in Belgrave by then? Was the church in Belgrave by then, or was it at One End Street in the in uh, Dandenong? the small, the yeah. first first in church. a school. That's right. Yeah, it was in the school. Yeah. yeah, so it was yeah. quite small back then. Um, and when we came to Perth, I remember it was a little community. I think there were about 10 or 15, maybe max 20 families. Yeah. And it was a shock to us. I felt like yeah. we were in a little country town. Everybody was so laid back. Um, and we were like, what is this place? This is not what we, you we can't thought. Even like. buy on Sunday. <laughs> no, everything was closed. The yeah. city was different. I remember everybody wearing thongs, and it was like, what is this place? It's like a country. Yeah, it was like a country town. It was like this is not a city that we wanted to go to. Um, so yeah, it was very hard for us to adapt. And not knowing anyone, I think it was um, even harder. Yeah. Except two families that came with us. And then the school. The school. Um, I remember it was a primary school because I got used to in Melbourne. I think I was sort of my English started to improve. So I adapted very quickly as a child. Would have been more challenging for Lydia than for you. For my sister, yeah, because she had to move to high school, and but she adapted yeah. pretty easily as well. Yeah, for us it was easy. I think for our yeah, parents, for parents, it was a little, probably a little bit harder. If you were so to they ask found now. work here quite easily. Yes, my mom went to I think it was Safeway first in Melbourne. She picked up a, um, a chicken, and she looked for the address, and she went. She didn't know to speak English, but she could work. So she ended up working in a, in a chicken's factory. Um, in Melbourne? In Melbourne. Okay. And then when she went, she moved to Perth, continued for the same company. And uh, long story short, in the end, both mum and dad became managers and they worked side by side until they were made redundant. And um, 
they really worked really well together. Nice. But they started very humble beginnings. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Teenage years for you uh, in, in Australia, not very challenging? I think we were very isolated being in Perth, but it was a good thing in, in a lot of ways. Protected, uh, We were sheltered. very well protected. I think we were very... Um, we weren't isolated, but I think we didn't have the internet back yeah. in the day. We didn't have phones. We still had the phone plugged to the wall if you wanted to make a phone call. But everybody knew each other. And I think the teenage years, as you know, because you were part of that, <laughs> that yeah. sort of a time that we were all, we sang together. We, you know, we everybody sort of went up to church to park and we played together soccer and different activities. So it was very much, it was fun times. I and mean, everybody sort of had a lot of time. Didn't you join the orchestra with the guitar initially? We did, and you were the one that found it, <laughs> the whole uh, orchestra, yes. That was, and uh, why did you not continue, do you remember? No, I think um, I think I started working and then oh. I couldn't do as much as I was involved in music and church activities. Because I know those who did uh, continue with the orchestra, they form a very eclectic group because they were we together did. so much, you know, they were, you know, at least twice a week for four hours, plus the drive. Right. A lot of them I would pick up on in the van, so it's fun. But even at youth on Tuesdays, it was pretty good. Good times. Yeah. I think after we moved, there were a lot of people from Melbourne um, that had come to Perth. So the church grew. Yeah, we came in '94. '94. So I think by 2000, it was probably what would you say, 500 more members? No, no. Less? I probably I don't think it ever crossed 300. No? So it was, uh, it was but still, anyway, it grew. It grew, I think, more yeah. from what I remember. I mean, that was back in probably before 2000. Yeah. Um, so from a couple of families, it yeah. definitely um, grew and we loved it. We thought it was it was great growing up and we had people that we sort of known for years. Um, what was the most challenging, um, let's say, aspect about your youth and your youth? What was the most difficult aspect of you know, being a teenager in Australia or being? I think not being, I think we weren't too involved. We, we were very much with the Romanian community and um, we didn't know people outside that community. We were sort of cocooned, I guess, in a lot of ways. And once we started working and starting to meet other people, it gave me a different perspective about life and youth and people, you know, obviously other youth that were experiencing different hardship and it opened up my eyes, I think, in different ways um, and things that we were um, conditioned to believe but also in our faith. Mm -hmm. I started to um, challenge probably a lot of my beliefs and why am I believing some things that I've been raised up to to believe. So I started questioning a lot of things and then that's when I think I started to do more research, read, yep. started to listen the things as they came available online on YouTube that came around. So uh, that was, I think for me, it was that challenge where I wanted to know more. Mm. I wanted to research more. I wanted to meet people that could bring me more value, um, so to speak. When did you commit your life to the Lord? Um, I was just before I turned 18. Um, so what, that was, what made it? Was it a true encounter or did that come later on? I think for me, because we were raised in a Christian family, the values were always there. Mm -hmm. And I knew when I was at a stage in my life that I wanted to make a commitment to the Lord. That was that was a time for me where I thought I was mature enough to say, yes, I'm ready to dedicate my life to Christ and declare it to the world. So for me, yeah. it was the right time 
it wasn't about an age um, and being raised, you know, in a church that you worship and you hear the word, I think that was just the decision that I had made. No encounter, nothing radical that has happened? No. After, maybe? After, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, leave that for later. <laughs> but it, it's interesting because some people have it in that... A specific encounter. That makes them commit and others... You know, they, they do it because they know that it's part of, you know, their Christian life and it's obedience to God. But then later on, they actually have a proper, you know, a real conversion. In Absolutely. A sense, Absolutely. You know, and uh, it's good. Um, marriage. Yes. You met Daniel when you were quite young or you started? I, yes. Um, I met him when I came to Perth first time, I think. Um, Meeting the family, I remember that first night that we went to church, um, Dad said, oh, we're going to go to the pastor's house and they've got 10 children. Oh. I thought, wow, great. <laughs> and it was just a small family. We were a small family and I remember going to the house and I was, I couldn't believe it. It looked like they had no children because everything was immaculate, everything Neat. was in yes. order. Yeah. And I thought, where are these 10 kids? And then I remember I saw three little ones that came out and um, the oldest came out. And that's why I met Danny. So um, I think it was love at first sight, maybe. You were 10. <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't you were really 10. <laughs> maybe for him, but not for me. He um, was what, 12, 13? 14. 14. Was 14. Four years with yeah, me. Yeah, so four years between us. Yeah. Um, but yes, it was the first time that I had met him. And, um, you know, as, as a child, you know, I didn't know any better. But by 14, somebody. 15, you, you were already sort of, Dating. Started to like him, yes. Yeah. And dating went that we went to church and it was choir and it was youth yeah. nights. And, and you looked at each other That's a lot. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that was dating for us. Yeah. That yeah. was something that um, was done at church, so to yeah. speak. Um, and we had a, a band that we sort of uh, had together with Dad and, yeah. uh, and a couple of the other guys. And that was our time that we spent together, I guess, in the youth. It's nice, though. It's like a dance. We grew up, we grew up together, yeah, so to journey. speak. Absolutely. And uh, so when did you tie the knot? In 2000, we got married. Um, that and was the first church um, where he still is now. Yeah. Um, we were so the first ones to get married. First wedding there. First wedding to get yeah, married there. And, How old were um, you? 19? 18. 18. Okay. I just turned 18 and madly in love. Yeah. And here we are, 22, 23 years nearly. Okay. Um, still happily married with two beautiful kids. And you had the reception at Morley Recreation Centre. Recreation Centre, yeah. Well, we had so many people, I think, because there weren't many weddings back in the day. Yes. We had the Baptist Church and the Romanian Church. And well, ours wasn't far behind yours, no. a year or something. That's uh, right. A year and a half, I think, behind you. Amazing. Yeah. Time just flies. Yeah. So you finished year 12. What did you do? You got married, obviously. Yeah. But uh, did you continue? Did you go to TAFE? Did you do courses? Did you go to uni? No, did you start working? No, so I remember I was about 14, 15, and back in the day you could work. And um, I was still at high school, and I always wanted to, to work. I just had this passion desire because I've seen my parents work very hard. We were never given anything on a silver platter, and um, we weren't sport kids, but we were well looked after. Yeah. We never had anything that um, was extravagant, and... Um, we didn't. We weren't kids that would ask for anything else but the basic necessities, um, and we were happy kids. Um, yeah. But for me, it was I wanted to work, and I started working in. Um, it was different agencies that would give you work, and you would just call them up, 
and they would give you random work. So for me, my first job I remember was at Peter's Ice Cream. Yeah. And we used to work after school hours. We used to go and work there. Um, probably so you're still in high school? At I was still in high school. Okay. And um, I think I developed those that work ethic from a very, very young age. Mm. And I think it was that self-worth yep. that I discovered very young. And um, I just wanted to learn. Mm. And I think for me it was just wanting to be in different industry. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Um, but by the time that I finished high school, I wanted to work as a receptionist or some secretary work or some reception work. Um, and I started to work for a company. Uh, it was a food packaging Australia, it was called. And I did reception work. And before I knew it, uh, I was getting bored answering phones. And I thought, I need to start talking to people. I, was, I, I wanted to be in contact with people. And I knew that from a very early age. Yeah. So that was my first encounter. And I did a lot of different jobs. It was yeah. then. Customer service. Customer retail. service, sales. I think the biggest thing for me was network marketing. When did you start that? I was 18. So we got married and um, I got involved into a network marketing by accident um, from a lady that um, met me in a shopping centre and she approached me and she said, Would you be interested in health and nutrition? I thought, you yeah, know, why not? And story short, it literally led me to get into the industry. Where I've learned a lot of skills about sales and um, personal development, and I, it really opened that door for me to to look more into it. Um, and that was probably the best thing that I've ever done. Yeah, getting involved in, into the industry. So you immersed yourself in MLM. We did. Um, we even sold our first home okay. um, after we got married. Uh, after two years, we sold our first home, home, and we travelled around Australia, and that's all we did. Both of you. Yeah, network marketing. Wow. Danny got out of adventure. his job and he, um, we both did it. Wow. So, yeah. Good. You still have residual income out of that? No. No. Um, I mean, some one of the companies, yes. Okay. Uh, but I've put in a hold um, and I've gone into other ventures. But I think it was a key foundation where yeah. God trained me up. For evangelism. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the things that he's prepared me for... I think it was a stepping stone um, for where he's where he's led me. Yeah. Um, it's given me a lot of social skills and I think a lot of confidence and just wanting to know people and listen to people and um, yeah, I think that that industry, you know, I can't speak highly enough. Yeah. Of the especially, value that I think get. I think you you went in the right MLM. Yes. Uh, and with the right people, and you had good support. Absolutely. And they had good good funnels and good programs and you know yeah. it was a, a well done one there's a lot of them are probably that i think you know in anything um in any business you can get the good and the bad yeah. and the ugly and for me i i was so hungry to learn yeah. and i think what i i was looking for all the good things yeah. yes a lot of the bad things that happened over, you know i would see them but and I look think, mlm is not for everybody and you learn that very not. quickly Absolutely. And you, you go with those people who are ready and those yes. who are not, you know. But even those who are not, they're just consumers. That's they're right. still consumers. That's right. They'll, That's right. they'll buy the product. One percent, I think, are the ones that really succeed. And for me, it was um, getting to know people that um, were highly immersed into the industry. And I looked at the skills that they developed. And the mindset. And the mindset. Absolutely. That's, that's the biggest thing. You know, if, if it did anything, it, it changed your mindset. It, it lifted it to another level. And I think that that became that hunger for me. I became aware of my 
my thoughts, yeah. my actions, yeah. um, habits, abs absolutely everything. Self-talk. That's right. Did you notice that you were thinking differently, that you were more positive, they had different oh, outlooks? Absolutely. And the people that you were sharing things with, it just went over their heads? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, when you meet people that are like-minded, yeah. um, they get it. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people, you, you know, when you start maybe going to those industries or growing, yeah. you find they may lose some friends yeah, or you leave some people yeah. behind. I think because they, not because they do it intentionally, but I think maybe they don't understand um, and they want to hold you back yeah. so they don't lose you. It's because everything changes, your language changes. You know, you, uh, I think I mentioned this to you. I remember meeting you in town. I was with Raluca once and we met you. And I noticed you looked us in the eyes when you chatted with us for five minutes and you smiled and you had, you know, just the way you came um, in that conversation, it demonstrated that you, you, you had the social skills that most people don't have. You know, most people don't look you in the eyes. It's true. Most people don't smile. They don't, you know, it's, and you had those skills. And I, I remember I said to Raluca, I said, whatever she's doing, she's on the right path because it was uncommon for Romanians to be that, no, you know, open and bubbly and ready to engage in life and positive and embracing everything, not whinging about everything else. And, uh, you know, it, we noticed that uh, and it was good to well, see. They were the very first early stages for me and I think that was, that was a breaking moment for me where the first leaders that I had, they said, you have to go and talk to people and find and recruit people. Yeah. And I thought, how am I going to do that? I only know people in my community, but they're not going to be interested. And I remember they said to me, right, you're going to go out there and speak to strangers. Well, I froze. Yeah. I thought, what am I going to say to these people? That I could just going to have a question and go and ask them. And every day I remember I used to go and walk the streets maybe for an hour in town and every time somebody would pass, I'd be like, no, I'll do the next one, I'll do the next one. And then every day I, I went back and I, I remember I spoke to two people the next day. And the next day I spoke to like maybe five people, 10 people, and then it became a habit. It was a numbers game for me. Yeah. And then that confidence just kept me building. And that industry just made the ground for me to be able to have that confidence and yeah. social skills that I really, really desperately needed. And it's interesting because it's all in our heads. It's Absolutely. not really. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> it's like the whole world is waiting for you to show up That's right. and you think that nobody cares. That's right. <laughs> I think most of the time we're in our heads as soon as we get out of our heads. And well, put somebody once first. said, if you're in, in your head, you're dead. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. But I think it's when we focus on other people and other people's needs, everything has shifted for me. Yeah. And I thought. Because even it wasn't about sales. I think initially it is about sales because yes, you've got to get your um, numbers. numbers. But after that, you're more relaxed and it's about connection. It's about, right. you know, consulting. It's about helping people. And if they buy the product, good. If they want to do the business, good. And if not, that's fine. I think what made it easier for me is when you believe in something that it can help somebody. Yeah, that you, was you the, have to have the you conviction. You have to believe. Yeah. And I think for me, it was like having a gift that I can pass to somebody else. Mm. And once I got hold of that, that for me became easy. Yeah. I wanted to help people. I know that I wanted to help people from a very young age. Yeah. And I just didn't know the vehicle. Yeah. And I think God's led me to where he wants me to be. And this has helped Danny as well, hasn't it? In a lot of ways, yes. Very supportive husband, I've got to say. 
also in his social skills, it would have helped him. Absolutely. And uh, you it was know, challenging. And when there's two of you, I mean, the force is like being four or five. Yeah. There's so much strength in that. I think it's you know in not not every industry or not every couple could embrace the industry together. And I was very blessed to have Danny support me yeah. in, in what I wanted to do. And um, both of us, I think, working and meeting strangers and talking and presenting to people, really gave us that confidence yeah. to step step out of that comfort zone. Um, so definitely the skills that we gained from that are priceless. And the children, when did they come along? So we had Jessica for five years, six years after we got married. Yeah. We travelled. We wanted to travel. We were so young and uh, we just wanted to get to know each other and travel and um, learn and you know we were ready to, uh, to come back to Perth because we travelled around so Australia. So how long, how long did you go? A year? We, no, we were travelling for about four, nearly four years, nearly four, yeah, four years um, and then we decided to have a family and everybody was still based in Perth so we decided to come back. And, so um, where did you spend most of your time, Queensland or it was Victoria? Gold Coast. Gold Coast. So in Melbourne we only stayed a little bit and then we ended up going to the Gold Coast and um, we used to call it heaven on a stick because it was always hot. Yeah. You always wanted to you know, oh, the have weather fun and it was amazing. So, um, Especially yeah. a little bit south of the Gold Coast. Yes. It's just beautiful. My favourite place I got to say was Toowoomba. Okay. Yeah. Toowoomba I know is out there, a um, bit more country, but I remember driving there and it was my time to listen to audio tapes. We had audio tapes back yeah. in the day. Um, but also just that sort of view and the drive was amazing. Have you ever met John, well uh, John Alley? No. Oh, you should have. Who's that? Well, an apostle from. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. No. Oh, man. If you had no. I missed out. Yeah. Got to go back. Great guy. <laughs> yeah. So you came back, you had Jessica, and uh, obviously beautiful. Um, Jessica, thrilled. yes. Thrilled. How did that change your life? Well, young parents. Um, gosh, she became the center of our, our world, <laughs> and everything evolved around her. Um, Does she know it? She knows it, absolutely. <laughs> I think she knew from the day she was born, she had us you know, wrapped around her little finger, especially Danny. Um, we just, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to us. I think when they put that child in your hands, your whole world, the, the happiness that you have, yeah. you can't describe it unless you're a parent. Yeah. Um, and then we had beautiful Simon four years later. Um, that was an experience. Um, what happened there? I nearly lost my life with him. Um, ended up in intensive care for about uh, a week. Um, he was a big baby, he was four and a half kilos. And I know that it's all in God's hands that I'm still here. Um, and he gave me an extra chance um, to do his will, I guess. Um, but it's complications, complications yeah, just giving birth. Uh, he was a big boy, um, major disrupt and I ended up bleeding just about to death. I think you know a lot of you know females would probably go to, through similar stuff. Um, but um, that was life changing for me. That I knew when I woke up from theatre, I remember <laughs> I just felt like blessed. And I remember I cried. Even like a month later, I just I used to stand outside and just watch people go by. I used to cry. I just felt grateful. I felt alive. grateful to be alive. I was like grateful for the simple things. I remember the first time I went home from the hospital, I said to Danny, give me the vacuum cleaner because I want a vacuum. I wanted to get back to normal. That to me was like being normal again. I was so desperate. Being human. To, yeah. Am I alive? Like, let me vacuum. Let me vacuum. 
as crazy as it sounds for me, oh, that no. was like yeah. the vacuum cleaner. It was something that is like, you'd have to do it. I wanted to go back to my, I didn't want to be sick. For me, being sick, I think it was, I, I couldn't accept it. Yeah. And I fought very hard to get back to my health. I just refused to, to be complaining. Or, yeah, absolutely. That was not on, on the table for me. Mm. I've been given a second chance of life and I was like, you know what, I'm going to run with this. Yeah. Gonna make make a count. Have you felt detached from the body at any stage in clinical debt or not? No, but I I know prior to me going into having Simon, um Mari Alufari. Yeah. Um she did have the Holy Spirit um told her to tell my mum. I remember she was at prayer and she said, Tell Dorina that whatever will happen will be okay. And when I went into the theatre room and it was very chaotic, I just knew, and I asked for the blood of Jesus to be upon me, Yeah. and I knew that it was going to be okay through the whole chaotic thing. And the doctor said, you know. So you had to go through C-section? or I delivered him naturally, and then I ended up uh, hemorrhaging. Oh, okay. So then they took me to theatre, and it was quite chaotic and traumatic. Um so you nearly lost your life, but the the baby was always was fine. fine. Or the baby, it was big, yeah. healthy, oh, okay. four and a half kilos, ready to run. He he was ready from the get go. Yeah, big boy, and he's um, he's thriving. Yeah, it's a big blessing for us. Those nice. are both are. But yeah, that changed me honestly. But now, do you um, think that going through a near death experience is a massive blessing in somebody's oh, life? I think when I look look at both of my kids. Um, um, they remind me of what I went through. Yeah. And this is probably the first time that I haven't cried. Um, and I think I look at all those little experiences with the family. We value them so much. Yeah. Uh, we enjoy working. We enjoy doing all, all the other stuff. But I think time with our family is so important mm. because I think that that's why we work so hard. That's why we do all these things, to enjoy that quality time with our family. And we're raising a, a generation, you know, you know they will will serve God. Yeah. So it's really important for us to to be there for them. Yeah. And raise them up in the right way. Wow. Yeah. Do you ever think that you know every day is a gift? Like absolutely. No matter like I've I've gone through death a couple of times actually maybe three times. Wow. But one I was detached from the body. I actually left the body and I saw my body on the ground. And now like. Any, like when I go through various encounters in life, I have this attitude, it's, I've been there. This can't be worse. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yes. you know, even if I lose everything, I'm thinking just being alive is, yes. is good enough. Absolutely. You, you know God's what I'm saying? God's not done with you yet. Yeah. I think every morning that I wake up, I mean, God, you're not done with me yet. Yeah. What else can I do to serve yeah. you? So absolutely, I think I'm so grateful for every moment that I get. Yeah. Um, and I find joy in everything that we do. I really do. And I try to be very positive yeah. and optimistic in everything. Yeah, of um, and every situation I think that we go through, I, I'll just I'll say, God, you know, test me. Yeah. Try me, Lord. Yeah. You know, and I, I want to do as well to the best that I can. Mm. Yeah. Now, you left the, um, let's say, your mother church or the Romanian church, and you ventured uh, into more of an Australian culture. I know you left for a while and then you came back and now you've probably gone um, fully. Yes. Do you want to talk about that chapter 
Definitely. Maybe the first chapter and now where you are now. And what encounters have you had with God? Like what had happened, what transitions had happened in your mind and in your heart? I think for us it was more when, you know, children were small and they could understand certain things. But then when they became like a daughter 16 and Simon's 12, 13, and they would start to say, Mum, I don't understand. So that was for me and Danny was like, all right, because it was a Romanian traditional Romanian church, even though at times we were speaking English, it became more harder because we didn't speak the language fully at home and they didn't read and write constantly. Um, it became harder for them to understand. And I said to Danny, you know, I said, you know, what is the point of us doing God's will, but then we're going to lose our children in the process if they don't understand? You know, they're so important. Yeah. And it was crucial for us to make, it was, it was a hard decision because I think Danny was so involved into worship for years yeah, and it was a very hard decision. But at the same time, I said, where do we want to go from here? You know, how can we help our children grow? How can we grow as a family and go for, forward together as a family? Or was it really, I mean, I understand the children yeah. would have had a big impact. That but was that, one of the reasons. But down deep inside, you also needed a transition, didn't you? Absolutely. I think for me, I was hungry to know more. Yeah. to learn more and to do more. Um, especially for me as a female, I knew that I was limited in some ways that I could grow. Yeah. Um, maybe it's our culture. Maybe it's um, the way that we were raised up. I felt very restricted. And not that anybody said, you know, put yeah. me in the corner, but I think it limited, was maybe. limited. Maybe yeah. that's probably the better word. Or not encouraged enough to not explore. Encouraged. That's right. It was like spoon fed. <laughs> That's right. And I think for me, I've always, always had an opinion. Yeah. I always had a voice. And um, I would always, and I love my dad dearly, but I would always challenge my dad. Good. And he, from a very young age, he would say to me, you should have been a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I would always give him a good fight, I think, you know, in conversation wise. And uh, he said, you're just as stubborn as me. And he knows it. Um, but, I, you know, he, he's got a big heart. Yeah. Um, and I think that to me is something that I admired in him. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was that desire that I wanted to grow and I wanted to get involved. Yes. And there was, I was felt like I was limited. Yeah. And when I started to, because we listened online to a lot of sermons and um, it opened up our eyes and we just wanted to go, okay, what else is out there? How can we reach out to so other people? So you were people? getting community in the church, but the feeling was... Wasn't somewhere else that's right that's right so our growth i think once the internet became available more and more to us we started to research yeah. sermons and things that we were looking mm. for answers and because we've been around so many australians i started researching and i came across um people of faith yeah. from other churches yeah met with different pastors i yeah. wanted to to know them i yeah. wanted to know you know how they operate the church yeah you know what do they have you know, how would, you know, we'd raise our children. Yeah. Um, so there were so many questions and it was great opportunities. We took me out for dinners and we wanted to just pick their brain and yeah. wanted to know, uh, wanted to know more. Nice. We went, on, we went searching, so to speak. Now, I'm going to put you a challenging question here. Do you remember any sermons from your mother church? Sadly, no. You know, Dorina, I 
I almost cried the other day. I was driving. And I just realized that I don't remember any sermons from the pastors in the church that I served for 17 years. I remember a couple of teachings with Bible verses. Yeah. One which was helpful and one which was an absolute shocker. But nothing else. 17 years to be there three, four times a week. And I, I can't remember it. Okay. Not even other people's. So, I, I mean, I thought about the pastors, and I don't remember. But not other people's as well. It's like yeah. I wasn't there. It's like that chapter. Maybe I was absent. I thought I was absent, and I thought there was something wrong with me. But now, hearing you, that I don't was... feel, I don't think I was ever challenged or think... encouraged or built up. That's right. I think that's... That... This is the key thing for me. When I was 18, I got into network marketing. And we, until that point, I was in that Romanian community and, you know, conditioned in a certain way. My perspective had changed when I started listening to motivational speakers. Some were Christian. Yeah. They helped me to, it's almost like when you go to the top of the mountain and you get a different perspective. Yeah. And then when you come back, you think, wow, I was hungry to get more. I was hungry to learn more and to grow. And because the level of awareness, I believe, was only that much, they couldn't give me any more. So they were not to blame. I think for me it was time to say, you know what, if I can't get fit here and I can't grow, I, I was going to stagnate. And I felt I that I was... I think their purpose was, was to keep, to contain that which they carried from Romania here. Yes. And all the effort was made to, to contain that. Yeah and keep that going for as long as possible. And they were hoping that the young generation will fit into that mold, which I think they try to, and it has happened to some extent. I think culturally we did, yes. and I think habitually we did, but spiritually we, we, weren't growing. we were dry. That's right. Yeah. I think for me it was, um, you said something very important. I think when you see somebody that's got a burning desire to do something, I think as a leader, for me, is you can identify gifts in other people yeah. and you handpick them and you go, right, there's potential there and yeah. help them, yeah. give them the tools to be able to grow. Yeah. And I felt I was lacking myself but also our children. Um, we were hungry. We were so hungry. And I felt like we won't get fed and we started searching. We started looking. And that and was I the beginning. And I think the culture breeded a sense of, so you serve when you're in the front, when you're on stage. And if yeah. you're not on stage, you're not serving. That's right. And, uh, but even if you got to the stage, it wasn't really serving because it was no. more of an ego show, you know, a competitive, competitive show, which, you know. It's not what worship should be. Well, really we had about. no awareness. That's right. There was no awareness. No one was speaking into your life because there was no relationship. That's right. It was, you know. Habitual. That's right. It's out of habit. I thought yeah. that was, it was yeah. done. That's yeah. interesting that uh, you, you, you have that. We experienced yeah. similar stuff. When did you have a renewal? Do you remember? Can you pinpoint? It was probably when I, when we first left WA and we traveled around Australia, we had gone to other churches. So it wasn't the first encounter of, or decision that we made. Um, it's only when we came back and we had the children that we started going back to the community and 
because we're surrounded. But um, it was from a very young age. I knew I wanted to grow. I knew I wanted to learn. And every time I had come back, I felt like I was going backwards. I yeah. felt like I was, you know, you're one of those birds that you get put in a cage and yeah. you sort of feel like you're locked. And yeah. for me, it, it became a pain. It became so painful to even consider going to church. Yeah. And this is the honest truth. And it, it killed me from the inside out. Yeah. I wanted to break free and it became unbearable because I felt that I wasn't growing. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that I'm, I'm so keen to learn and grow, yeah. but I wasn't experiencing that in the environment that I was in. So I felt like we were always going back. Mm. So for me, it was from a, I knew it and it was just that journey that we had to go through to finally, you know, go to together. enough so you could make it. The change. pain is not big enough. Yeah. Then we didn't change. And then when the pain but you also stayed enough, because then he wanted to stay. And I think, yeah, we were we were serving together and then we had the children. I was more, I stepped down and had more of a, a mother's role mm. and I wanted to support him and what God's put in his heart. His passion was to worship and praise God and, he, you know, he started listening to, um, you know, a lot of sermons and videos and songs and he wanted to introduce a lot of um, worship songs and he, he just had that passion for worship. Yeah. I remember from a very young age, you know, first time when we came to Perth, he loved worshiping. So that was really important for him. And I think ultimately for him, it was like, if I can't see my children worship together with me, yeah. or as a whole church yeah. to expand, not just one or two people singing together, yeah. as a whole church, that was what he, he craved for, mm. to serve and see the Holy Spirit come down yeah. and the whole church to worship together. That was, that was his dream. Mm. And he felt like he couldn't, couldn't progress. Yeah. So that was, that was, I think, the, the pain for him. But not only that, it was um, the growth spiritually for us as well as a whole family. Do you have spiritual parents? I do. I have, Who's your um, spiritual dad or mom or both? Bev. Bev is your spiritual mom. Absolutely. Bev Woolhouse. Bev Woolhouse. Which we've interviewed, whom Absolutely. we've interviewed here at I think she's episodes. been a godsend to me. Uh, when I needed somebody the most. Um, she's been a key player, I think, in a lot of the um, growth that I've had from in the last six years. And God's just used her to do his will, but also to help me break free from where I was mm. and to where I am now. So she's been very supportive in that way. And you've partnered with her to establish a ministry and a business. Absolutely. <laughs> Tell us about the pantry and Bill's booze. So about three years ago, I've been in the hospitality industry probably for about 10 years on and off, uh, probably a little bit more, and had gained experience in hospitality and did sales. So I sort of had a little bit of experience in sort of that industry. And she actually was one of the people that I was introduced to by somebody that I had worked for, Shane Mezger. Oh. He's a chiropractor. Yeah. <laughs> so I was working for him as a CA and um, he said, oh, you sound because I started bringing a lot of people to through his practice. He goes, you're really good with people. You know, our practice has grown. He goes, um, maybe you'd be interested in network marketing or to help people lose weight. We've got a program. And that's when Bevel House was introduced to me. She was uh, a networker and um, had built, uh, you know, multiple businesses. And he said, he, this is the only told me this after, but he said, 
I made a decision to introduce you to, I had two people to introduce you to. One was another person or it was Bevel House who was a Christian. Yeah. And he knew very, like in the time that I worked for him, he knew that I was a Christian. Yeah. And he said, I think you'll align more with her. So that's my journey started. Mm -hmm. And I think it was handpicked by God mm. um, because I was introduced to her. We built a friendship. We built uh, a, a business with um, the company that she was in at, the, at that time. And um, that's when we discovered that we have so much in common. Mm. Um, and then through um, that industry, she said, my son's opening up a, um, a little cafe in a surf shop. And you've got some skills and I think you can help and get started. And she said, do you want to get started with him? I said, okay, I'll give it a go. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And for two and a half years, we started Bill's Brews. It was in a little surf shop. His plan was to have a little window, mm -hmm. sell a couple of coffees, maybe some cookies, and maybe some surf gear that um, the boys had um, in the surf shop. Made up. Made up. They were um, handmade. Uh, they're three of the top uh, uh, shapers in uh, Australia or WA. Um, they had a factory at the back and they would have the circles at the front and we would sell them on their behalf or support yep. them in that sense. And that's where the Bills Brew started mm. uh, with Jess Woolhouse, which is um, Bev's son. Okay. That's. And then she began uh, doing the pantry at uh, Nation Street. Yes. So during the same time, the Bills Brew is around the corner, which is literally two minutes down the road. Um, the pantry that she started, the pantry WA, I remember she used to come in and support me uh, with the Bills Brews uh, when I needed support. Jess has actually got another uh, great business, uh, electrical business, very big, and it was sort of a hobby. So he literally said, Dee, if you want to build a business, here it is, do the best yes. you can. So I was sort of, I think I quit about five times Bills Brews because I felt like I, I knew what I was doing, but I, I felt a little bit tight to the decisions that I could make because it wasn't my business. Yeah. So originally it wasn't my business. And then that's where I would reach out to Bev and she would come in and help me and you know, mentor me and she would give me sort of a bit of advice and, you know, just keep going and she would encourage me. And then I kept on going with it. And then when she told me about the pantry that she, she felt like she had a calling to the pantry and I knew that she built multiple of businesses, very successful businesses. And I, I couldn't believe that she would go and do the pantry, and I, I said to her, I'm going to come and check it out. So I remember when she got involved in the very this first stages. Volunteering. volunteering. She yeah. didn't get paid. She said she, she's going to go and do the pantry, and I said to her, what made you do it? So I felt a calling. I had a vision. I had a vision that this is where I needed to be, to serve God and all the skills that I've gained during the um, the network marketing industry and the business that she's built, it's led her to this. And whatever time she had left, she wanted to dedicate to build a, the pantry. And through that, it was going to be a place where food, grace, and hope, which is the motto of the pantry, yeah. was going to be where people were going to get saved and people were going to be looked after. Yeah. So that was her calling. And for me, I thought I've always wanted to do something like that. I've always wanted to be part of it. Yeah. Because I had the bills bruised that I was operating on spare time when I could, very few times I just went in. And I remember she was getting it all cleaned up and putting systems in place. And um, she decided that it was going to be a time where it would grow so much they were either going to shut it down or and relocate it. Yeah. Long story short, when she relocated the pantry, I remember there was probably a period of about a month that she was praying. And she said, I don't know where I'm going to move. 
I don't know if this is something that you know I can move around the corner. I don't know if there's a building nearby. I just don't know. But by faith, she kept on praying. And she said, I had this vision that the pain tree had a coffee shop mm. inside of it. And I said, do you want to be part of it? During that time that she was shifting, it was the same time that Jess decided to close Bill's Brews. Mm -hmm. He said, D, the wages are pretty much killing me. My wages are killing you. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, he said, you know what? I think, D, you know, two and a half years and we were building that business, we started to know people in the community. People got to know us. And in, in the end, he said, you know, it's either you want to take it on, stay here, or relocate it. And then when Beth told me that she was going to relocate, and I thought, you know what? Perfect opportunity. I'm going to do it. We prayed about it. I spoke yep. to Danny, and it was a decision. I said to him, we've got nothing to lose. Yep. I just felt in my heart it was the right thing to do. And without hesitation, she moved the pantry, and then in January um, this year, we started operating side by side. Yeah. And that's where our journey began. And you're opening, uh, operating this beautiful cafe now on your terms? Yes. With your menu and a lot of uh, yummy food. Yes. And good coffee and uh, great people. Absolutely. And you're discipling the girls who work there with you. And it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I had an amazing lunch there. Thank you so much Thank for you. receiving us and just uh, just showing us around and feeding us. It was, it was it's godly. The I atmosphere think... is beautiful, the, you know, just the setting, the furniture and everything. The culture you've created there, I think, is very, it's got good vibes, healthy, spiritual vibes. And I think people feel that, the anointing when they come into that place. I think a lot of, um, I remember the first time we moved in, I don't even know if we were going to succeed or not. And I used to say to Bev, because we had these signs, these flags. Was saying, I know, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. If we don't get you with the first sign, we'll get you with the fifth or sixth sign. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to pray every morning. I said, God, let them see the signs. And I kid you not, people walk in and they would say, we've seen the sign. Yeah. And I, we asked to look at the girls. I'm like, oh, my God, it's like what I prayed for every morning. You must morning. have about 20 of them on oh, every honestly, corner. Honestly, every corner you turn, because even like, last week we had no somebody came them. in. Oh, they've been, they've been pinched a few times. They've been turned the other way. Um, so every morning I would go and check on yeah. them. And um, okay. I think it's part it's part of what we need to do to yeah. keep it going. Um, but yeah, it's been a blessing from the you know the day that we opened. I remember we had pretty much the same sales when we closed down the other the other shop that we had. Yeah, and that to me was just amazing to see a lot of our regular customers that have seen the signs and come back. Yeah, um, and it's just been an amazing partnership to be able to through the cafe what we do. It's a great opportunity because people come in and you get to know them yeah. and people buy from people that like, know and trust. So we've built a bit of rapport over the two and a half years at the previous location. And what we like to but do... But now you've expanded. We've I expanded mean, a little food, bit bigger, uh, food-wise. Choices, cakes, everything. And also the sitting area, people come in and have meetings. We have three, four beautiful churches around and a lot of people come in. Yeah. There's pastors that come in and they pray. Well, we, we love to as I said, that. I said to actually the pastors, you know, you saw it on Facebook. Yes. We had a meeting and there was about, I don't know, 15 of us, 20 of us. And I'm thinking, would we be able to fit in there? You would. We'll make a stand. <laughs> yeah. So I actually said to one of the pastors, I said, look, we should try this one day. And he said, yeah, let's do it. That's amazing. So. It's amazing to see a lot of godly people walking through those doors. 
And I think when we share what we're doing through the cafe, I think we play a small role in God's plan. Yeah. I think, you know, sharing the vision, they feed about 70,000 people a year. This blew me away. And yeah. I've seen the work and the hours that they do, none of them get paid. Yeah. At the pantry? At the pantry. Oh, At yeah, the preparing pantry. the hampers. Absolutely, the food hampers. Oh, I said to Bev, I said, look, I've never seen a, um, you know, a food ministry so organized and so well done. I mean, she prepares those hampers with the team and, you know, that. They throw away all the, Anything you know, that's not good. Anything that's, you know, you don't get brown bananas. No. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Even though they receive a that's lot. That's right. They receive a lot of them. That's right. The, the excellence in, uh, in the not-for-profit yes. is remarkable. I think. It, it, it is a proof of a desire to, to do this for God. It's absolutely. kingdom, you know. I think seeing that you've nailed it, I think that spirit of excellence yeah. in everything they do um, and it's passed through obviously from Bev down through the whole team, it blew me away. And I think, I know that everything that she's touched and got herself, she's always given that 110%. Yeah. Um, and to see the results, you know, of people coming through and, you know, getting blessed to have food for the whole week, yeah. that inspired me even more to spread the message. Yeah. So when people come through and they buy the coffees and food, you know, they say, oh, what's the pantry? And we support them by um, selling brand new clothes yeah. that her sister, um, Makes. you know, d donates yeah. 100%. So we on sell them and all the funds 100% go to the pantry. Yeah. Um, a lot of businesses would jump on board and they donate if they want to donate or yeah. if we ask people if you know anyone that's struggling, if you know anyone that's you know finding it hard to put food on the table, send them over and we bless them with yeah, beautiful hamper. So there's two things that we share the message: people in need, come down, yeah. or how can we help the pantry and support them? I think it's beautiful, and I love this because it's in the marketplace. You know, yes, it's nice to be connected to, with the church and everything, but I think we got too used to that. Yes. Uh, when marketplace ministries operate in that space with the kingdom values, I think it's quite powerful. Absolutely. Uh, because it means that we've we've moved outside the four walls yes. and now we are in the fabric of society answering needs That's right. at the at the call face, you know. And I think it's beautiful and it's just an inspiration to us. So it's good. I'm Thank glad you. and it was get great to, to hear Bev's story as well and now yours from, you know, from Bill's Brews, <laughs> not just from the pantry, you know, yes. uh, interconnected. So obviously we will encourage people to go and visit Bill's Brews in Wangara yes. and uh, the pantry next door uh, because they are wonderful ministries and businesses as well. Thank you. What's next for D? For D, I think it's um, my biggest thing is be a humble servant. Yeah. I think I used to try and do everything in my own power mm -hmm. and I found out that I burnt out very quickly. Um, I'm relying more on God and the Holy Spirit to guide me. Yeah. Um, I think from the moment this is something I know that we have a, a group, um, there's about three of us that are on that group and we call it the support group. I'll wake up at about 3.30 every morning and there's either, you know, a, a motivational speaker, <laughs> uh, one of your favourites as well, um, that we listen to and um, just we start off every morning. You know, for me it was prayer, listen yeah. to God's word. Yeah. Um, that will make me be more aware of where God wants me to take me. 
Okay. Um, but through the Bills Brews, it's a vehicle that I'm able to reach out to people. Yeah. We've connected with so many people in the community. Mm. And the more people that we're getting to know, it's a way to connect by serving them a coffee, yeah. by giving them some food. You yeah. listen to these people's stories. We've built such a community in there. Yeah. And it's open doors that mm. I, I would have never, ever thought that, it, like when we first started, yeah. where we are six months now, yeah. it is unbelievable and where mm. God wants us to go. So I think it's just being more in tune and listening to the Holy Spirit and what His plan is for us. Yeah. So I'm, I'm learning well, that. Well, it's better to work with God than for God. Oh, absolutely. It's a sign of relief. <laughs> I think for me, because I've always had that burning desire and I didn't know where to use my energy and my time, yeah. I've always worked two or three jobs. Mm. I've been classified as a workaholic. But I find now that when I have a tunnel vision, and I'm focused on what I truly believe God's prepared me for this time. Yeah. For where He wants. Well, me this to is work. your assignment. That's why you thrive because there's nothing else that you need to give your attention yeah. to. Just you know, as part of your life, yeah. this is your assignment. Obviously, you've got a family and you fish and walk, but so you wake up at three thirty. Three thirty in the morning. You've got to and get those bacon and eggs ready. <laughs> so you're you're in there at five or just before five? Just before five. Um, on Bev, your own? Or yeah, somebody else comes? I've got Bev's already there. She's already packed <laughs> a few, probably about 20, 30 boxes. Um, I know she gets there very early. Yeah. Um, there's three of us in particular that get there very early. Beck as well. Um, she's the second one in charge of the pantry. So if we're ever hungry early Absolutely. in the morning, we can just knock at the window. It's amazing when you love what you're doing yeah, that you can just wake yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we were down south just over the long weekend, and I would I'd wake up at four o'clock. I couldn't sleep. Yeah. And he was, when I'm awake, so I've got to do something productive or, you know, go for a walk or something. That's right. Otherwise, I'll wake the whole house up. But I think when you love what you're doing, it's not work. Yeah. And no matter how many hours. Well, it do, is work, but it's not a job. It's not, it's not a job. That's right. Um, so for us, it, it's actually as hard as it is at times. So what time do you close? Three o'clock or 2 30? Uh, 2 30. Yeah. We close Monday to Friday, and then Saturday we open until 12. So you're still open on Saturday? Saturdays as well. It's the only place I think that's open right now. From 7 till 12? 7 to 12.30. So the dealers come in and... A lot of locals. Um, it's crazy because a lot of locals, um, even residential people, from drive Hockey. through. They go to the markets. We've got oh, yeah. people fixing their cars, yeah, driving yeah. through. Uh, we've got a lot of gyms around there as well. Okay. So it's such a different vibe on Saturday. Yeah. People that are relaxed, every table is full. Um, people come to shop, yeah. uh, you know, for a great cause, so they buy clothes to support the pantry. That's it's nice. a good excuse. Yeah. Um, but it's just great to see people coming together for that cause. Yeah. It's amazing. Wonderful. God's shifting people. Amen. And you're part in. of it. Wow. Thank you so much Thank for sharing you so your much. story. I've learned so much about you know the transition into you know doing God's will and just enjoying it and thriving in it. But you know, there's so much that God has to work on us. We yes, just yeah. are not ready, eh? Oh, gosh. I feel like we're just getting started. I think this is this is just, I, I think if we were to see the future, yeah. it would shake us to the core. Yeah. I think I'll be paralyzed. You know, I think where God wants us to be, That's where right. he's going to take us. Right. But I think he only reveals it in increments. Aren't you glad that your kids don't have to go through your... Experience. Journey, yes. I think. Look, I've got Jessica who so they fast forward in some areas, that's right, but they'll also have their own journey, absolutely. 
I think it's given me an opportunity to get closer to Jessica, in particular, she's the oldest and she mm. works with us in the cafe. And, you know, even Bev can vouch for this. In the last six months that she's worked with people that are very like-minded, people of faith. Yeah. And, you know, having mentors that I've had yeah. now influence her, it's been massive. The change in her even has been amazing. Even for that part alone, it was worth doing the Absolutely. business. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if, if anything else fails, which I hardly doubt, I think for me to see so many lives change, yeah, it was valuable. I can't put money on that. I said, yeah. I said to Danny, if we don't make a penny, Doesn't matter. it was worth every bit of Just it. Just where we are now. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Like here. I was thinking the other day, I was doing some accounting and I was, um, you know, I was taking snaps of the receipts for, for the software, for the uh, uh, accounting software. And I'm going through them and I'm thinking, Evangeline could do this, my daughter, my wow. eight-year-old. I, I, I thought I could, get her, her up. <laughs> I could get her here once a month yes. to, to just snap my receipts. Oh, so I'm already thinking like you, you know, <laughs> it's like what... What parts of what I'm doing yes. can they do, you know? I think what Jessica said to me, they had to say, Mum, the personal development and the journey that she's embarking is amazing. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff that I listen to now forward on to her. Yeah. And then when we talk at work, she gets to hear it over and over again, not just me as a mum, but I think having those people around yeah. her speak life and God's word into her, group. it makes a it's big invaluable. difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is what I mean. We didn't have that. We had no. church and services, but we had no nothing outside. Yeah. For well, them to no, no support network. You yeah. know, if you spend, imagine if you, if you, out of, I mean, I was doing twenty five hours a week in church, thirty hours a week in church. I was there six nights a week, seven nights a week for like fifteen funny. years, uh, and I mean, I don't think I've ever had one on one with anybody. No. Like, you know, for yeah. an hour. I think it's the first time with anybody from the community that I've actually had a chance to speak and, you know, share the, our story. Yeah. Um, and what, you know, what, what we want to do. And, you know, I, I wish somebody would have. Yeah. I think I would have been open to do something, even just something small that would make an impact. But, you know, it's happening. It's happening in pockets and it's yes. happening with people individually in their own circles. We just haven't crossed paths. That's right. Yeah, there's quite a lot of that actually yeah. doing the same thing. And God's doing amazing things, I think, in our generation. And I'm actually excited for our children. I am Because I think, you know, our ceiling is their That's platform right. that they walk on. And I think it's awesome. I'm, I'm actually excited with what Absolutely. the future brings for them. I think we, we were that middle generation where we ended up in Australia. We've experienced Romania. We had to bridge the gap. That's right. We can still do it. But we don't do it well there with them and we're yes. not doing it well with our kids. That's right. We're still, you know, hybrids. That's right. We're in the <laughs> yeah. Wow. We were chosen, I think, for this time. Absolutely. But I think both parties appreciate us. I yes. think the children appreciate us and I think the generation that is more stagnant also appreciates us. I think for me, if it wasn't for where we came from, it gave us some sort of foundation to where we are now. You know, for me, I think having my children, my, my, my parents, my children, my parents being people of God, all those things that they taught me. I know my dad taught me how to sing yeah. with accordion. Nice. I'll never forget it. And my mum was the one, she was a woman of prayer. 
Yeah. I remember she used to put us one on one side and one on the other side, and she taught us how to pray. So for me, from a young age, this yeah. is something that was embedded in us. Yeah. And I think God used them for that time in our life mm. that served us. And, you know, that, that seed was planted from a very young age. Yeah. And they, they did the best they could with what they were given. And yeah. I think once we, we wanted to know more, I think God's opened up the doors for us yeah. to go through and take us wow. where he wants to take us. Beautiful. So we bless those people that. Looking Thank you so us. much for coming tonight and just sharing and just being vulnerable you. and, you know, being yourself. Thank you. And thank you for your time and uh, giving me the opportunity to share for the very first time my story. <laughs> what an honor. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. What an amazing story. Well, you know, you never know where these land, eh, do you? But what a wonderful uh, story from Dorina Chrisan, uh, who is uh, managing Brew and owns the Brew Cafe. Bill's Brew, sorry, Bill's Brew, Bill's Brew Cafe <laughs> in Mangara, and also part of the pantry ministry, which is right in the same building. What a journey she's had, and uh, you know, preparing for next generation and just enjoying the assignment that God has given her. The fact that she discovered the assignment and now she's stepping in it, and she's just comfortably doing it and working with joy and focusing on that. I think that's an encouragement for us as well, to find your assignment, find what God has called you to do, to shift in this patch of history, the call of God on your life, and just to engage in it because life is too short and, you know, maybe you wandered enough in the wilderness. It's time to focus on something amazing for God and for His kingdom and combine the work. I mean, most of our work will be in the marketplace. I know we'd love to all do something in church, but church is only one day a week. The other six, we are in the marketplace and in the family. So just take the ministry from church outside and see in that call of God on your life, in your gifting, how you can apply that and bring the kingdom and advance it out there. I really pray that this blesses you. And if it does, give us five-star rating on uh, <laughs> Apple Podcasts and on like us on the other channels that you're watching or listening to this. And also share with others so others can be encouraged and be built up. We look forward to seeing you next time at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. I am Nathaniel Costia. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.